All right, we're beginning a brand new series today, always an exciting beginning as we focus our attention for a few weeks on a, on a new area, on a new topic. We're going to be talking about the power of circles. Now let me put some of you at ease. We're not talking about some kind of new age uh, thing where we're going to conjure up some kind of force or, or spirit in the circle. We're going to do circle. None of that, none of that. Uh, we're talking about the power of Christ-centered community. The power of what happens when we, when we connect with one another, when Christ is at the center, when he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, something happens. And something powerful happens to us when we are in those very circles. The power of circles, there's a lot of uh, talk, and, and when we think about a culture, when we think about our language, we actually think a lot about circles. We use the idea, the symbolism of circles a lot in our everyday talk. And so here's just something I put together uh, as I think about the way we use even this idea of circles. So just to see if this resonates here at all. We all have circles we run in. These form our circle of influence. Of course, we're told it's important to move in the right circles. Some of these people can run circles around us. Ultimately, though, we just hope to find some that we can let into our circle of trust. These people become our inner circle. There are friends who, when the sharks are circling, will circle the wagons with us. If they don't, the vultures circling us will become a vicious circle. A vicious circle in our lives, and we may end up circling the drain. Sadly, some think that's just the circle of life. Anyway, I don't want to keep speaking in circles because it probably feels like I'm just going around in circles. So let me come full circle and circle back to the power of circles. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That took me all week. I had no time to write the rest of my message. That's all I got. It's one of the few times you'll see me read my message to get that part right. But I hope, uh, I, hope I didn't make your head spin in circles with that. Okay. Um, where's my rim shot? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> anyway, this, we, we talk a lot about circles because we understand there's a power in that. It, both positively, negatively, the circles we're in, what happens to us in those circles, but if you're here, and I believe this series is for you, if you've ever longed for a deeper connection, if you're looking for something that says, you know, I really would like to connect more with people at a, at a deeper level, I wonder, could something happen spiritually in my life if I were to able, op able to open up a little more, if I could connect with others? Maybe you're just feeling, I would just love to know some people's names. I'd just like to, to not be a stranger in the midst of a, of a crowd. Maybe you're wondering, I, I don't have anyone I could call if, if, I, if, if, if I'm in struggle, if I have a hard time. I don't know anyone who would care for me or who cares this, what situation I'm in. I feel lonely. I feel isolated. This message series is for you. And I know all of us long for more of that connection. And we have this, this power of circles that, that lets us know that we are known, that we are loved, that draws us in. And that's something we're going to be looking at over these next several weeks. Because what I do know is we all have this longing to belong in, this, in community, in true Christ-centered community. And what we're going to be looking at over these next several weeks is even as we look at Scripture, as we look at Jesus, as we look at the church in, in the New Testament and the Bible and how they began and how they came together and what they understood as this importance of gathering together in circles and, and what a difference that made in their lives, how it transformed them, what they learned through that process. And so today, um, as we begin here with part one, we're going to be talking about the longing to belong. The longing to belong and an interesting paradox, the hesitancy to connect. Can any of you relate even just to that phrase? The longing to belong. I want to belong. I want to, I want to connect with others, but I'm hesitant. And we don't overcome those hurdles, and so we end up settling for, for loneliness or isolation or disconnectedness. 
And so how do we overcome that? How do we move and how do we lean into that longing of belonging? So that's the problem that we have. This is a problem. I, I want to know why there's more. I want to go deeper, but I don't, I don't know how. Maybe you, you saw some of those images on, uh, on that intro video, and, or maybe you're watching TV or on social media, and you see how everyone else seems to have all these great relationships. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, they have like these dinner parties at their house with charcuterie boards and, and dangling like exposed Edison bulbs in the backyard and wine glasses clinking. And it's just like, man, and I'm sitting at home eating like, you know, Burger King in a bag. It's like it just doesn't, doesn't connect, you know. Or maybe you're like, man, those other guys, they just got, they're out there with the bros. They're hanging out. They're having a good time. They're roasting the pig, you know. They're enjoying their time together and camping. And what do I got? Nothing. And we see and we picture others that, that seem to have a life of connection. We wonder, but the reality of my life is we're busy. We're full. If you're at different times and stages of your life, maybe more so you got young kids at home or your schedules are full from morning till night. You work, you get up early, you come home, and then the idea is you want to connect with others, but you're just too tired. <laughs> and you know you had some weekend plans, like a Friday or Saturday, you were going to get together with somebody and you were, thought that'd be a good idea. And as it got closer, you're like, oh, why did I schedule that? And then they cancel, and you feel great. <laughs> Does that ever happen? Isn't it weird? We long to belong, but then we're hesitant to connect. It's, it's like this weird thing inside of us. Like We just are wrestling through, how do we do that? How do we do that? And, and I find, too, for myself, the older I get, the harder it seems to connect in deeper relationships. Anyone else? It seemed to be easier when I was younger, when I was in high school and in college in my 20s, and then family life and kids, and yeah, we know people, but to really connect and to, to grow deeper in relationships seems to be getting harder the older I get, at least it is for me. And I even think in church, that's the craziness, that's why we're talking about this, even in church, we long to connect in community, and yet we can be here for who knows how long and how many years and still can feel like a stranger sometimes. And we wonder, how does that happen? How is that in the church? And, and even as we have opportunities and the, the ability to connect online, right, with technology. And some of you are watching online and you feel connected to the church and it's a great tool that allows us to stay engaged together. But ultimately, do you know anyone? Do you, are you able to connect? Do you feel what community can be like? We can be in a crowd and yet we can leave isolated on a Sunday morning. Technology. <laughs> I don't need to spend any time talking about how technology has been both a blessing and a curse when it comes to connecting, right? I mean, how great that, you know, we can FaceTime my parents in, in Florida or, in, you know, in, in Oklahoma, the grandparents, and you can have a connection that you normally wouldn't be able to have. But yet sometimes the people closest to us we're not connected with. We actually have, see technology and we can get envious of what they're posting on social media. And instead of knowing what's going on in their lives, we just assume things because they post it on social media. We know what's going on in their lives, but yet we realize we maybe haven't even talked in who knows how long. But somehow we feel connected, but are we really connected? And then you add to it the pandemic, and it changed our social behavior. Would you agree? The pandemic has changed our social behavior. A story just uh, came out a couple weeks ago about this, uh, I don't know if, if you heard this, there's this woman whose body was found in an apartment in, in England, in London, I think. And uh, the neighbors, um, you know, they finally went in, they found her, and they realized that she had been dead for two and a half years. <laughs> two and a half years! Isn't that crazy? Like, during the pandemic, she died. Some mail was piling up. There were some signs of some people messed up a little bit, those that were managing the, the property. The police made a mistake at one point. But to think, though, that at some point, was there not some friend? 
Was there not some, some neighbor? Was there not a family member who at some point said, you know, we haven't heard from old Betsy in two and a half years? I don't know what her name was. I just made that up. Um, sorry if your name's Betsy. Um, just random thought came to my head. Uh, is, where is that community? Where is that isolation? Now, I know that's an extreme case. But we know that during the pandemic, all of a sudden it was like, remember how the, when that first happened and people would come to the door and be like, I'm going to leave something on the door for you, and you're behind the glass door, right? And then, and then it's good to see you, right, all the drive-by. I mean, we're past that point of the pandemic. But all of a sudden, people that were normally welcomed in our home, all of a sudden we didn't bring people into our home. And after a long period of time of that, it, it began to change. Our homes got even messier. We didn't have to clean up for company. Anyone else know that scenario, right? That was one of the blessings of having people over is that we have to clean our house. Um, no people coming over, no clean house. I mean, so that's a kind of an up and a downside, I guess. But, you know, this idea has changed our rhythms of socially connecting with people. How often do we connect with others? And, and we've gotten more selective positively. Maybe we just haven't gotten involved with everything, and we're being more, more, more selective in the things that we're involved with. But over time, there's isolation that creeps in. And what we need to know is that, that isolation, relational isolation, has incredibly scientifically proven, which I'm not going to get into, but, but, but physical and emotional um, effects when we are lonely and isolated. It takes years off your life, literally, if you are isolated and alone. It has mental and, and, and emotional effects. But what I think we really underestimate is the spiritual effects. So we think, we think about these other pieces, but we don't understand the importance of connecting with others and what it does for us spiritually. Isn't, and we think like, oh, isn't my faith, it's just about me and God, me and what I believe, and I read my Bible, and or I come to worship, and I've, I've worshiped God. But we neglect to understand that a significant key part of our relationship with our Heavenly Father is our relationship to his family and to our brothers and sisters in Christ and those on the journey. It's not just an, an add-on. It's a very central component to who we are. And so we underestimate the power of the circle, the power of gathering in those ways that transforms us. And so we're going to look at that over these next several weeks. We're going to look at how does the power of the circle transform us spiritually? What are some of those components that, that are in, involved with that? Because when I think about it, and as I mentioned earlier, that passage in, the, in Matthew chapter 18, 20, when Jesus said, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Something happens. It's not just gathering in a circle, but it's gathering in Christ-centered community. Where two, when just two people come together and say, we're gathering in Christ's name, two or three, there is Christ. And something happens in that circle. That's the power of the circle. Let's pray as we, we go into God's word and just open our hearts to say, God, speak to us. Help me to know how I can connect into your body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for inviting us into community with you. Father, open our hearts today to your word and over these next several weeks to the power of what can happen when we connect in Christ-centered community. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first and foremost here, we all have a deep longing to belong. It's part of how God wired us. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our makeup, to the, the, the desire to connect with others. We were made in, in God's image. And what is one of those images, one of the ways we can see God's image? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in relationship, in community, figuring out how they relate with one another. God created man, and he said it's not good for man to be, what? To be alone, right? To be apart, to be part of a family. He created community. In the Old Testament, we follow the people of God, the Israelites, the Hebrew nation. It was God revealed himself and worked through a people in community. 
In the New Testament, we have the church that Jesus Christ called together and said, this is my body, this is my people, this is how we are connecting with one another. And so God creates this, this connection for us, this spiritual connection. And when he created the church, you know, we, we think of it in terms of, again, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's just a spiritual thing, the church. You know, like, ah, we were, we're brothers and sisters with people all the way in Paraguay, and even though we don't see each other, we're connected, and, and that's what it is. No, it's a physical reality. The church was meant to be a physical reality as well, to literally connect in person, face-to-face, with one another, in contact, in dialogue with one another. That's what's so important. We have to physically connect. I think about, it's not this week, but the week before, our youngest daughter, um, Anaya, she, she had COVID, like a lot of people right now, right, comes through, and all of a sudden we know it's like this uh, isolation sentence, you know, uh, you got to write my life off for the next week, and because my rhythm here of Sunday mornings doesn't lend itself very well to missing a week, um, I isolated, or she isolated from, from, from me and some from, from the family, and so she got to spend a week in the basement by herself. Now, you know, she was happy with her tablet and video games, and it was one of those weeks where we, like, yeah, you have, like, unlimited technology because there's nothing else to do. And so she kind of liked it. But one of the things that was hard was, it was like this, like, at night, be like, Air, air hug, good night, you know, I love you, good night. And, and after the, you know, those five, six days or whatever isolation, for her to then to come up and just sit next to me and then just give me that big hug, right? For me to hug her. And it was like, ah, we need that connection. It wasn't just a spiritual reality, like, yes, I'm her father and she's my daughter and we're connected and we're bonded. There needed to be a physical peace. We need to be connected. We need to come together in that way. See, at Meadow Park, one of the things that we talk about all, all along is the need to belong. Belong, believe, become. Belong, believe, become. And we're talking about belonging. This idea of, of having a place where we are known, where we are loved, where we are connected, where we can grow together with one another, that's the key, the connecting together. So the verse that we're going to look at over these next several weeks in different ways is Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Now before I get into that verse, um, the context is Jesus had lived his life, he preached, he taught, he was nailed to the cross, he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again to new life, he called his disciples together and and said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and now you're going to be my church, you're going to be my people, and they began to teach, they began to preach, and what happened was, it says that when Peter was preaching, over 3,000 people came to be part of that church, to, to, to begin this journey of following Jesus, of being a part of that, and you know what, they were like, what do we need to do? How do we go from here? What happens? And so they decided they needed to come together. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 2, 42, 47, as this new church was forming. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you see this community is coming together and they're figuring out what this is and how do we learn and how do we grow and how do we spend time together and and God's doing something among them and lives are changing. People are taking note and others are joining this community. Lives are being transformed because of this circle. Well, this morning I want to focus on a small part of this this section. I want to look at part here at verse 6. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. There's two aspects here. 
There's two things that we're looking at in this verse, and that's this. A deepening faith needs both temple and home. Sunday worship and small group. Large circle and small circle. Temple and home. There was this dynamic of, of this large gathering and the small gathering. If I, if I were to picture it, I'd, I'd picture it like this circle here. We've got the large circle, the Sunday worship, the Sunday gathering, the time together where we're with lots of others sharing this journey together, worshiping, celebrating. But within that, where is our smaller circle? The temple and the home. This, this balance of, uh, between the two to have a larger one and a smaller circle that comes together because life change happens in that smaller circle. That's what happened when they got in the homes, when they broke the bread, when they prayed, when they, they studied God's word, when they cared for one another, when they sold their possessions. It didn't happen in the temple. It happened in their homes. And, and so I want to talk about today, how do we go from being strangers you know, here that are, are attending church together to becoming a spiritual family? How does that happen? How do, we, how do we make that transition? And here's the key. To experience deeper community, you have to risk closer proximity. To experience deeper community, you have to risk closer proximity. That's what we're talking about. We have the longing to belong, but the hesitancy to connect. And so there's a risk. I use that word very intentionally, risk, because this is oftentimes where we're not willing to overcome that risk. And so they had to leave the, the larger circle, right? They had to, because they wanted deeper community, so they had to get into closer proximity with one another, a place where they could eat together, where they could break bread together in their homes. Another way that maybe you've heard us say it here is, but is this. We have to intentionally move from rows to circles. We have to move from rows to circles. The problem is we like rows. You know what's nice about rows? You have to worry about anyone who's behind you. And those that are in front of you, all you have to do is look at the back of their head. Right? It's an easy way to stay disconnected. Rose, you, the, the closest person next to you is just by your shoulder and maybe even a little bit over to the side. And so we can come into worship, we can sit down, and maybe didn't even, you know, unless, un, until Roger made us like fist bump someone, said something about Jesus, I forgot what he said, Jesus something. Um, we may not have even interacted. It was powerful. It was powerful. It was, it was really good. It was good. It was really good. Sorry. <laughs> but sometimes unless we're asked we don't make that connection because we like rows we like the anonymity that leaves us and then what happens with rows is when the service is over we can go out our row and we can go right out the door we long for community but then we're wondering why come we did, how come we didn't connect why didn't that happen and we feel that tension we feel that, that desire maybe it's an awkwardness of not knowing how to start a conversation maybe you wonder I don't know what if they think I'm weird what if they're weird <laughs> I mean, and I started this, this whole thing up. And you know the one, right? I, I don't know their name. I've seen them here for weeks and weeks, maybe even a couple of years, and I still don't know their name. And now I'm at a point where I can't even ask their name because it would just be too embarrassing. And, and what are they going to, and, and it's worse, the worst is when they know your name and you don't know their name, right? We all feel those social anxieties. And so while we long to connect, we choose instead to duck out and to just avoid and then wonder, how come we didn't connect? How come we didn't go any deeper? We need to step out of our row and into a circle. See, Jesus knew the importance of circles. He knew the importance of making these different connections and, and where he would connect with people and how that would happen. And so when you see Jesus' life, he wasn't just this, this lone ranger, right? He instantly called people to follow him, his disciples. We know the 12, but we also know there were larger circles of disciples that followed. And then he had this closer circle of 12. And then talks about this inner circle that he had of the three. 
Peter, James, and John, these three that were even his closest ones at very special times that Jesus even called them into relationship with him at a deeper level. And so he understood this is an important way. And then he said, we're going to do life together. We're going to spend time together. We're not just going to come into a lecture setting and then leave. We're going to really be engaged in everyday life and so where they would go, they would go out and, you know, they'd go out fishing and they'd go out, you know, walking from town to town and they'd be in the marketplace and they'd be in the temple and they'd be in different people's homes. And actually, as we look at this contrast between temple and home, Jesus did so much of his ministry and transformative things happen in people's homes. He went to the home of Peter's, uh, Peter, Peter's mother or mother-in-law, I can't remember right now. He went to her home and, and her, her life was changed. He, he, he healed her and something cool happened in that place. He would go to, Matthew had a party, and, and he invited people over to his house, you know, that, that were his fellow tax collectors, and Jesus went to the party at his home. He had a great time influencing people. He loved going to the house of, uh, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That was like a safe place for him. That was friendship. It was home. It was, it was connection. He went to a Pharisee's home, to the religious leader's homes, and sometimes he really stirred some things up in those homes and conversations that he had around the table. But I love one particular instance that, uh, that Jesus had where he invited himself into someone's home. And, and, and there's this man who was really hated by other people in the community because he was a sellout. He was a sellout who was profiting off the very community that he belonged to. So he was a Jew, and he was living in, in Jerusalem, there in, in Israel, and uh, he was a tax collector. And he was working for the Romans, and he would pull some extra money off the top, and he would charge extra. So you can imagine that he wasn't very liked. When Jesus came through town, and, and when he was coming through town, what did this little man do? You guys know the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And he climbed up into, I don't know where the sycamore tree came from. I don't think that's in our Bible. I think it was just, but it seems like a good tree to climb. Or does it say that? I don't know. I'm not a Bible scholar. Um, <laughs> if, I don't know everything in the Bible. Come on. Cut me some slack. Um, and so he's there, and he's anxiously looking for Jesus. And look at what happens when Jesus came up to him. It says, when Jesus came by in Luke 19, 5, 8, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and what did he do? He called him by name. Something powerful about knowing the name. Zacchaeus, me? Zacchaeus, how do you know my name? You know my name? I mean, instantly a connection there. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus where? To his house. In great excitement and joy. He knew his name and he called him in his home. And here he goes into Zacchaeus' house. Something's going down. Jesus comes into that house. So I want to talk about why is opening our home so important? Why is opening our house so important? Is that just sort of like metaphorical or is there something really significant about our home? Our home is important. Just like our name is something about our identity, our homes, we, we protect those spaces a little more, don't we? There's something, if your home is the kind of place that, that, that can create sanctuary, it can be a place of safety, a place of rest, a place where you can let your guard down, a place where you can just be who you want to be, be who you really are. And it's that place, and so we don't let everyone into those spaces. We guard those spaces just like we do publicly. We don't let everyone into our, into our circle of trust and into all the deepest places of our lives. And so our homes become like a physical representation of that. And so there's something significant about coming into that place. And think about what our homes tell us about who we are. Think about it like even if you think, maybe not even like homes, like you, you can sometimes tell something about a person by their car. Sorry to tell some of you that, but if... You look at the inside of your car, we can tell something about who you are. 
It's your space. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. So how you treat that space says something about you. Maybe you don't care. You're just easy living, goes, it's all good, whatever. Some of you are super orderly and neat. It looks at your car is always like a showroom. Some of you in between. We can tell things about your office. How you keep your office says something about you. Something, yeah, don't worry. I'm not psychoanalyzing people going around looking in cars. Don't worry about that. Um, your home. Think about your bedroom. Think about kids' bedrooms, right, when you're growing up as a kid. There comes a point as a, you know, all of a sudden you, you had this nice baby room that your parents made, and then you're like 12 years old and going like, uh, we need to do something about this room. This room does not reflect who I am, mom and dad, right? And then you change it, and then you're like a, in your middle, your teen years, like you, you hang certain posters, you got trophies, you got awards, you got certain pictures, different colors you choose. And our homes are just this extension, a bit of who we are. And so we, we protect that, we guard that, but, but that's what, one of those beautiful things that when you get into someone's home, there's like a way of saying, all right, I'm going to allow you deeper into this place. And, and Zacchaeus allowed Jesus into his home. Actually, Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming over. He didn't have, to, he didn't have time to clean his house. He wasn't able to do anything. He just said, come on over. And you know what happened? Life transformation happened in that home. We read about it in, in Luke 19.9. It says, salvation has come to this home today. Life change happens in our home when there's Christ-centered community happening in our home when we connect with others. And it wasn't just some spiritual thing. Zacchaeus sold some of his possessions. He repaid people what he took from them. He was changed, transformed. Things happen when we open the doors to our home. So stepping into someone's home is stepping into their circle. Stepping into that inner circle. Stepping into that place where we can connect. And we see that even, as I said, like you, you might greet somebody at the door, but then you open that door, right? And then they come into your entry. And all of a sudden, there's right, that's a, that's a different part of relationship, Right? You're not really letting the, the, the Amazon Prime driver into your, into your front, you know, right? You might greet him out front, but something different happens when you come in the door. When you let him in further into the house, maybe you're gathered around the kitchen table or the, you know, the island and have some food out. Then maybe you sit in the living room. It was fun as our friends came here just even last night, right? We, we met them out in the driveway. We talked a little bit. Then, hey, let's come on in. And then, you know, as it happens, you get stalled out, and then you start talking, like, in the, you know, in the entry. And then we took them to their room, and the, they were in the basement, so we then talked there. And then we're like, no, no, come upstairs. Go into our living room. And at first, you're, you're, you're reconnecting again, and maybe it feels a little awkward. And, and we didn't, you know, know, haven't had a chance to meet their kids yet, but... After a little time, you go deeper and deeper in conversation, and now you're starting to share some things that are more personal, and that doesn't happen in two minutes after church, does it? That doesn't happen when you pass each other by in Walmart. That happens in our homes. That happens in places that we set aside to grow deeper in relationship. There's laughter, and there's, there's connection, and there's time spent just going deeper in, in, in that way. When I think about the early church that we we're looking at in this passage— they didn't see going to someone's home as being like, oh, the temple's requiring us another like, program to be a part of. <laughs> After temple service, go and sign up for your group, um, and I'll sign you to this home. And uh, every good person that goes to temple also goes to a small group. And um, oh, I don't have time for a small group. Um, the last thing I want to do is sit around a circle singing Kumbaya with people and... I'm just not much into praying in circles, and you know, I don't know, we're just not going to do it. It wasn't a program. It was a necessity. It was so much so a part of who they were that they said, in, in, in the culture that they lived, a hostile culture, a culture that wasn't supportive of their values and things that they were doing, it was a place where they needed to come and say, we have to gather with others. 
I got to get together with other like-minded folks who we can center ourselves in Christ, where we can grow, where we can challenge each other, where we can help each other. It was a necessity for life and faith together. And I'll say it this way for us, us gathering in small groups isn't an add-on church program. It's essential to our life and faith together. And that's what transforms a gathering. When we don't see it that way, we say, this is our life. This is who we are. This is how we connect. Remember that, that picture, the big circle and the smaller ones? It's how we connect with one another. And I would say it this way. If Jesus and the early church needed a small group, maybe we do too. Jesus saw the importance of that. The early church saw the importance of that. It's not just me and, and just Sunday morning or me and just my faith, me and just the, the big thing. And I, it's spiritual. It's my thing. No, it is a reality of connecting face-to-face with other people. What I think is so interesting is this early church and this movement of Jesus changed the world. I mean, it literally, not, that's not just a figure of speech. It has literally, right, transformed our world. And you know what didn't transform the world? It wasn't what happened at the temple. It's what happened in the home. I think sometimes we get to this place where what has to change the world is what happens here in the large gathering, and God uses that, and lives change. But where the ultimate change is going to really begin to take root and begin to multiply is when it's in our homes, when it's in connection, when it's the way we live our life together, and not just going to church, right, being the church, living it out, experiencing it when other people see, ah, that's what these people do. They don't just talk about it. They live it. Look how they care for each other. Look how they love one another. They're serious about their faith. They really are growing in Christ. They know each other, and they're reaching out to others. God's doing some things among them. That's when it begins to really take root. It happens in the home. To experience connection, you have to extend connection. Let's just get practical here at the very end. How do we move from rows to circles? How do we go deeper? To experience connection, you have to extend connection. To experience love, you have to extend love. To to experience care, to be cared for, you have to also care for others. You know know the old saying, to be a friend, you have to have a friend, you need to be a friend, right? It's that that adage. It's it's so easy. You guys all know what this is like. You ever have a family member that said something like, man, it's been a long time since you've called. You know what I'm talking about? The little guilt. What, What do you think when you hear that? I don't remember you calling me. Last time I checked, this goes both ways, right? We go to church and nobody talked to me. Nobody said hi to me. Do you say hi to anybody else? It's a two-way street. Nobody spent any time talking to me. Did you walk up to somebody and say, hey, I don't know you? Um, yeah. I know sometimes we feel it's other people's responsibility, but right? To experience connection, you have to extend connection. Right? You have to risk that piece of going out and stepping out into closer proximity. So let me give you three ways that we can do that. Three ways that we can do that. First is this, learn two people's names. That's an easy one, right? We're going to start real easy. And we even gave you a huge jump start today, right? Big, big name tag here. Hello, my name is. We didn't even use it. We got custom. Thank you, Kyle. Made us some custom power of circles name tags. But even as I thought about this symbol here, this hello, my name is, who's taking the initiative with this name tag? Me. Hello, my name is. I'm not waiting for you to tell me your name. I'm not waiting. I'm going to step forward. I'm going to go forward. Hello, my name is. I'm going to put it out there. I want you to know, I want you to see, because our names are part of our identity. Zacchaeus, come on down. Me? You know what it's like when you're in a crowd and there's a lot, or you're talking with somebody and then you hear your name somewhere? What is it? We dial into that. When somebody remembers our name, it's powerful. 
There's a connection there. I'm not just some stranger. You remembered me. You, you thought enough of me to occupy one little, you know, terabyte or mini-byte. I don't know. I'm not technical either on that. Showing all my incompetencies this morning. Um, a bite in your brain of memory, right, for someone else. And you took the time to remember. It creates that connection. Names are important. And so like I said, over the next several weeks, we're going to have name tags here to remind us that we have the chance to, to remember somebody's name. Somebody maybe you never met. Somebody that, whose name you know you once knew but then forgot or you didn't catch. So wear them high, wear them proud. Get to know somebody. It begins that process of connection. Don't just spend time talking to people you already know. Meet one or two people and get to know their name this week. The second is this. It's a, we're going to make a big jump from real easy to a little more challenging here. Invite someone over to your home this week. This is one of the, I mean, this, you guys can do this, right? But, 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 but my house, you haven't seen my house. I'm not, I can't entertain. Order, order, like, just have them over for dessert, right? And, and get it from somewhere. You know, just get some Krispy Kreme donut. It doesn't have to be complicated, right? You don't have to clean your whole house. Just make it at least so you don't have to walk over, like, too much stuff. But it doesn't have to be crazy, right? Just wipe the toilet seat down, little thing, and you're good. You don't have to have, like, a super clean house to have somebody over or in your backyard. But just invite someone over your house. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, they schedule it this week. Even if it doesn't happen for another week or two, to this week. Can, 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 can we get some amens on this? I mean, this is practical. <laughs> invite someone over to your house. Man, when I've, been in somebody, when I've been in some of your houses, I feel a different connection, as I'm sure you do that have been in my house. And that's a powerful thing. Let's, let's do that together. Now, the third is this. Commit to a life group this fall. You didn't think we'd do a whole series on community and not talk about life groups, right? Figure it out yourself. No, we, because it's one of our values, we make an avenue for you to say, here are ways that we're going to connect. We're lining up leaders and groups and places, things that happen here Sunday morning, every day of the week. You may not have time, you think. Well, make time. Find it. Figure it out. Work through that. Because power, connecting is so important. And so you have a few weeks to just think about that. Although some groups are happening year-round, there's some that you can join right now, Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. That happened here. Others in homes. There's new groups forming this fall. And we'll get you more information on that. But just start thinking about, all right, how do I get connected in community and step from rows to circles? Begin by knowing some people's names. Invite somebody into your home. Accept their invitation if that's, if that's extended. And then commit to a life group this fall. So some practical steps that we can take to really experience community. How are you connecting? Do you really feel like, can you say, I belong? And how can we make that happen with one another? Again, I think about Zacchaeus and the power of that invitation that Jesus extended to him by name. And he invited himself into his house. And when Jesus enters our home, when Jesus enters our circle, when Jesus enters our family, when he calls you by name, and we say, okay, Jesus didn't be like, hey, Zacchaeus, I want you just to, to believe that I'm the son of God and died for your sins. And make sure you go to church. No, he said, Jesus, I want, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your home. I want a relationship with you. And I want to restore your relationship with the other people around you. Don't you think that's what happened after Jesus was in Zacchaeus' home? Do you think he was still an outcast in the society? Zacchaeus, what, what went down in your house? What happened? Well, first, let me repay you four times what I stole from you. And by the way, I'm selling some stuff and giving some things to the poor. I'm all on board with Jesus. Do you think Zacchaeus' connection to the community changed as well? That's how it happens. Belonging and believing, becoming, it's all part of that process. Where are you in that journey? Jesus is inviting you into his family. He's inviting himself into your house, into your place. 
And can we be a part of extending that? I just want you to take a few moments just in silence to reflect on what God might be saying to you this morning. What do you hear him speaking to you in your spirit? Heavenly Father, we want to create some space to just hear you. To hear you call us by name. I guess the question is, God, how do we respond to you when we hear our, you calling our name? Do we, do we let you into our home? Father, we want to open our hearts to you today. We want to be on this journey with you. And Father, help us as we connect to others in Christ-centered community where you are the hub, you are the heart. Transformation happens because you are at the center. Father, I want to pray this morning for those here in this room, those listening online that are feeling isolated or disconnected or maybe just not in deep relationship as they'd like to be. Father, may, may we reach out to one another. May we risk. May we know each other's names. May we just see another person today, really see them. And Father, may we as a church be a place of just extravagant belonging, reckless belonging, that allows those to be on journey with you, to come, to be a part, for us to extend that invitation. Father, help us to open our homes, not just to people here at church, but to neighbors, to coworkers, to really spend some time getting into each other's circle and experiencing what happens when you're there in the middle of that. We love you, God. We thank you for this beautiful picture that you have of your church, of your body, of your community coming together. May we celebrate you both in temple and in the home, God, in worship and in smaller gatherings. Thank you for knowing each of us intimately as we are and inviting us to be a part of your family. Thank you for your great love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.